Hey everyone, this is Pedro Chung, and welcome to Bible Sumo Weekly, a weekly Bible study for everyday Christians. We continue our series on the life of Joseph, episode title, Joseph Sold to Slavery. In this episode, we continue our study of the Joseph narrative here in Genesis chapter 37. And it's here in the second section of chapter 37 where we learn how the brothers sell Joseph to slavery in Egypt. The second half of chapter 37 can be summarized with four events. First, Joseph is sent to Shechem, verses 12 to 17. Second, Joseph is sold at Dothan, in verse 18 to 30. Three, Jacob mourns in Hebron, verses 31 to 35. And fourth, Joseph is sold to Potiphar, in verse 36. So let's read the first event Joseph sent to Shechem in verses 12 to 17. The text reads, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So at the start of this section, we see that Israel is concerned about the welfare of his sons who are shepherding their flocks, presumably in the vicinity of Shechem. Now, he was probably expecting that his sons would send some sort of report after a certain number of days. And the fact that they were near Shechem, the same place where they had pillaged the town, would have heightened Jacob's concern. Now, some cultural background is in order. Joseph's family were nomadic, that is, that they lived in tents, and they would travel to allow their flocks, their livestock, to graze. Now, generally, the servants, or in this case, Jacob's sons, would take the sheep and they would follow the sheep to distant areas, while the rest of the family would stay at one place. The distance from Hebron to Shechem was probably 40 to 50 miles, or maybe about 70 kilometers. It was probably too far for Joseph's brothers to bring back a daily report. And Dothan was probably another 10 miles or 15 kilometers north of Shechem. So the total distance the brothers had to travel was over 50 miles or over 75 kilometers. Now, notice how Joseph responds to his father. Um, He was quickly obedient, saying, here I am. So let's picture this scene. Jacob is sending a 17-year-old boy alone to Shechem, and this is no small task, and it's not without risk. I'm sure Jacob was very reluctant to have Joseph travel anywhere alone, especially near Shechem after Simeon and Levi had killed all the men there. And this was the same place where Dinah was kidnapped and raped when she was traveling alone. I mean, imagine the conversation. See ya, Dad. Well, remember, look out now, son. 
Just find your brothers, check on them, and come straight back home. Sure thing. I'll be back, Dad. I can imagine those final words being replayed in Jacob's head for the next 20 years. I mean, how could he forget this final goodbye with Joseph, his beloved son, knowing that when he hears news later that he will never see his favorite son again? You know, I just want to pause to remind us that we will never know when we will say goodbye for the last time, whether it's to our wives for the last time, kissing our mother goodbye for that final time. We just don't know when saying goodbye is for the last time. So let's make each goodbye count. So we see that Joseph does in fact go to Shechem and he's probably wandering outside the city when he sees a certain man. And Joseph explains to the certain man that he is looking for his brothers. The man then tells Joseph that he overheard his brothers saying that they were going to Dothan, and the certain man saw his brothers leaving. Now, Joseph could easily have returned back home to his father, for he basically fulfilled this task. He went to Shechem to look for his brothers, and his brothers were not there. And so he could have easily finished that task and reported that he was unable to find his brothers. But instead, because of his diligence and persistence, Joseph continues to Dothan to complete his task. Well, let's look at the second event in the second half of the chapter, Joseph sold at Dothan, and this is verse 18 to 30. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Well, let's briefly stop here at the end of verse 24. Now, you might be wondering, how did the brothers see Joseph from such a far distance? Well, the obvious answer is it's likely because of his robe, his coat. I mean, few people would be wearing a multicolor robe with sleeves that go down to the wrist. So Joseph's brothers quickly identified that man coming from the distance in the tunic was in fact their brother, Joseph. Now, remember from our previous study that Joseph's brothers understood that the two dreams that Joseph had shared were prophetic. But to make sure that the prophecy would not be fulfilled, Joseph's brothers sought to kill Joseph. The brothers conspired together to kill Joseph and then throw him into a pit or a cistern. And they would prepare a false story that Joseph was devoured by an animal. These brothers were ready to act out on their intense hatred toward Joseph. Now, I think I should comment here too that whenever we sin, like what the brothers are going to do, it's nearly impossible to commit just one sin. 
we will commit many sins at once, and oftentimes there will be a series of lies to cover up our transgressions. Now we see here that Reuben suggests to his brothers to throw Joseph into a cistern, and his motive was to spare Joseph's life and restore him to his father. Now, Reuben may have persuaded the other brothers that by dying from dehydration in a pit, it would be more painful for Joseph than dying a quick death. Or perhaps just because he was the eldest son, Reuben had some authority over his brothers and was able to order his brothers to throw Joseph into a pit. Notice in the text that the imperative or commands are used when Reuben is speaking to his brothers. But I think also Reuben was motivated by self-preservation. Because as the eldest son, Reuben would have been held most responsible for Joseph's welfare. And also, by bringing Joseph back later, I think Reuben thought he could regain the favor of his father Jacob. Remember, Reuben lost his father's favor when he slept with his father's wife Bilhah in Genesis 35. So we see here, as soon as Joseph had arrived, the brothers grabbed Joseph, they stripped him of his multicolored tunic, then they threw him into an empty pit. And the pit had no water, so Joseph would likely die in the pit quite quickly without intervention, especially in this desert climate. There would have been little water in this desert area, so to throw Joseph in this pit without water was cause for certain death. Let me continue reading the text, verses 25 to 30. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders came by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? It's truly amazing to read this first sentence in verse 25. Then they sat down to eat. Can you believe that? The brothers sat down to eat? I mean, many who feel remorse or guilt, they would lose their appetite. Joseph's brothers, in contrast, had no issues with their appetite. Their immediate next action was to share a meal. Now, I think likely Joseph may have been crying out, um, out of the pit, hoping that one of his brothers, or maybe an innocent bystander, might hear him and might save him. So to sit down for a meal after this treachery, absolutely despicable. But look at how God's providence is orchestrating the sparing of Joseph's life. First, we see the caravan of Ishmaelites, and second, we see Judah's conscience prompting him to not actively participate in this murder. 
So first again, the caravan of Ishmaelites. Caravans were used to transport goods generally from one commercial center to another. And so this specific caravan probably was traveling from the northern region down south to Egypt. And their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh, all valued by the Egyptians. Next, we see Judah's conscience at work. Listen to what he says. What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? I think this implies that Judah had some degree of fear of punishment for this heinous sin. Again, Judah says, Let not our hand be upon him, that is Joseph, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And again, what this is implying is that Judah is saying that murdering one's brother, this is too great a sin for us to commit. Now, Judah didn't know Reuben's original plan. And his plan isn't necessarily as compassionate as Reuben's either. Both seem to have had a little bit more concern about their brother's welfare than their other brothers. So we see here that the plan was, or the suggestion would be, that they would sell to the Midianite traders for 20 shekels of silver. So their conscience prevented them from murdering Joseph, but their jealous hatred still propelled them to sell Joseph to slavery. Joseph is betrayed, and he is sold for 20 shekels of silver. Now, 20 shekels was the going rate for a slave in the ancient Near East in the mid-second millennium, and this is supported by several ancient documents, including the Kob of Hammurabi. Similarly, you will recall Judas betrayed our Lord Jesus Christ and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. I want to make another comment, and that is the suggestion that the Midianites and the Ishmaelites here in this passage are referring to two different groups of people. Because the original Hebrew text, it's not explicit in who is the subject of the clause, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Some believe that it was actually the Midianites who found Joseph in the pit and subsequently sold him to the Ishmaelites. But this isn't supported by the biblical text and the Genesis narrative, because Joseph later on accuses his brothers in Genesis chapter 45, verse 4, saying, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. So I believe here that the brothers, in fact, did throw Joseph into the pit. It's these same brothers without Reuben that took Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Midianites, who are members of a tribal league known as the Ishmaelites. So again, as a reminder, Reuben was absent from the other brothers when the brothers made this change in plan. So when Reuben comes back and sees the empty pit, he is shocked and he is in grief He tears his clothing and he cries out, where shall I go? Well, let's continue with the third event in this passage. Jacob mourns in Hebron, verses 31 to 35. And they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. 
and he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So here we read that the brothers deceived Jacob and they covered up their sin. They dipped Joseph's robe into goat's blood and they return home and they present the robe to Jacob. Now notice the brothers didn't say anything explicitly, but they simply asked their father to draw his own conclusion based on the evidence that they had presented. Now we know in modern times today, one could pretty easily distinguish animal's blood from a human blood, especially a specific a human like Joseph. But Jacob at this time was perfectly convinced by the forensic evidence that had been presented to him. Now picture Jacob's grief here, and it must be mixed with guilt. I mean, there was the overwhelming grief that he must have felt with the loss of his beloved son, Joseph. But what guilt Jacob must have also felt, for it was his idea to send his young son on this treacherous journey, putting his son in danger. Well, while Jacob is unable to stop mourning, his sons and daughter came to comfort him. Now, perhaps his daughters didn't know exactly what happened, but his sons did know, and they were not moved to repentance or to tell their father the truth while witnessing their father's grief. Joseph's brothers did not simply sin against Joseph. They sinned against their father, Jacob. It is true hypocrisy to see them seemingly try to comfort their grieving father. And remember, they would continue this deception for the next 20 years. And really, at this point, Jacob had no hope for the future. Back to the lies and deceptions of Joseph's brothers, this should give us a word of warning. If, like Joseph's brothers, you and I start or continue a pattern of lying and searing our conscience with a life of duplicity, we will destroy our lives. We will never be effective for God. We will destroy ourselves. So we must repent if we were to start or continue this pattern of lying and deception. Can I paint one more picture in this section? You'll notice in this section that we really never see any description of Joseph's reaction to his brothers, stripping him of his clothes, throwing him into the pit, and then selling him to slavery. But we do get a little bit of a picture in Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. And this is his brothers saying to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Joseph was likely screaming for help and screaming for his life when he was thrown into the pit. 
he must have cried out to his brothers on the back of the caravan's camels as they were heading for Egypt. Joseph's anguish was etched into his brother's memories even over the next 20 years. One more thing I want to bring out in this section. When we studied the early life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 27 to 35, we saw the trials that Jacob had to endure. But you know, God never promised that our greatest trials will only come early in our life. In fact, many times our greatest challenges will only come later in life. And we see this to be absolutely true for Jacob here in the Joseph narrative. Well, let me read the final verse in this chapter, verse 36. And this highlights the fourth event, Joseph sold to Potiphar. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an office of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This final verse in Genesis chapter 37 gives us hope that Joseph's new life will begin in Egypt, in the household of Potiphar, a high royal official. Now, the exact function of captain of the guard is not clear, but Potiphar was likely in charge of the prison for royal officials. And this is the same term that is used to describe Nebuzaradan, the Babylonian general, in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 8 to 12. This chapter ends with a glimmer of hope. Joseph does reach Egypt. He is still alive, and God has and will continue to protect Joseph. Joseph will cling to all of the stories that he has heard from his grandfather Isaac and his father Jacob, all the things that he had learned from his dad and grandfather about God. He's going to remember his two divine dreams. He's going to trust in the promises that God had given Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he will need to, because he will need those truths to help him endure what will lie ahead in his future over the next 13 years. Well, thank you for listening to Bible Sumo Weekly. For more information about me or this podcast, visit our website at biblesumo.com. In our next episode, we will continue our series in the book of Genesis and the Joseph narrative, but we're going to take a little detour, but a very important detour, when we learn about Judah and Tamar. Subscribe to the podcast to listen to our Bible studies each and every week.